It's tricky because we've been working on these topics for a really long time, those working in public health. But one of the things that I've realized, especially as I've become a parent myself, is really that to make real headway in safe sleep and breastfeeding and really improve rates, reduce disparities, we need to look at this as a systems level problem and not an individual level problem. We are the National Institute for Children's Health Quality, an equity-focused organization boldly leading improvements in maternal and child health by addressing inequities and other complex issues facing families. My name is Jay Weisgerber. My pronouns are they, them. And my name is Dominique Davis. My pronouns are she, her. We're part of Nitschke's communication team, and we want to welcome you to Before Birth and Beyond, a space we're creating to focus on pressing issues in maternal and child health through an equity lens of shared learning, action, and impact. Join us as we explore Nitschke's network of experts and innovative project work at the intersection of quality improvement and health equity. Our goal is to equip public health professionals and healthcare providers alike with new tools, resources, and connections to improve how we serve mothers and birthing people, children, and their families. In honor of Breastfeeding Awareness Month, our main story this episode features NICHQ staff to discuss some of our breastfeeding and safe sleep initiatives while highlighting the impact of combining infant safe sleep and breastfeeding promotion on the community level. Additionally, we'll spotlight national and NICHQ campaigns and resources to support breastfeeding and chestfeeding equity and sit down with one of our NICHQ staff members for why I work in MCH. As always, helpful details and links are in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. On August 6, 2011, the U.S. Breastfeeding Committee officially declared August as National Breastfeeding Month. Rates of breastfeeding in the U.S. vary widely because of the multiple and complex barriers new parents face when starting and continuing to breastfeed or chestfeed. The American Academy of Pediatrics, or AAP, released a policy recommendation on human milk feeding with important health equity implications. Alongside offering key recommendations for the use of human milk, the statement acknowledges that because social and systemic barriers to human milk feeding efforts exist, supporting parents who choose human milk feeding requires social and systemic change. Check out the show notes for a link to read the AAP's policy statement and download inclusive communications surrounding childbirth, lactation, and infant feeding, an AAP breastfeeding curriculum tool that is free to use within educational settings. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, almost 60% of women and birthing people do not breastfeed or chestfeed for as long as they would like, and women of color are much less likely to meet their feeding goals. For example, 77% of Black infants are breastfed, falling below the national average of 84.1%, and only 78.4% of Native American birthers, including American Indians, Alaska Natives, and Native Hawaiians, breastfeed or chestfeed. Equity gaps in access to resources and support contribute to these disparities for breastfeeding and chestfeeding mothers and birthing people. NICHQ works to close the gaps and achieve equity in all forms, including race, nationality, gender identity, sexual orientation, and ability. Join NICHQ in celebrating the 2023 National Breastfeeding Month theme, This Is Our Why, with weekly observances that highlight the importance of breastfeeding equity and view a collection of helpful resources from NICHQ and partners in our show notes. On this month's episode of Before Birth and Beyond, we're excited to be joined by summer 2023 NHQ Communications and Digital Strategy intern, Amalia Hirshhorn-Martinez and Katie McCormick. They will be speaking with members of the NHQ team about our upcoming webinar, 
focused on infant safe sleep and breastfeeding messaging, and Nucci's continued work to ensure health professionals and the communities they serve are supported with the necessary tools and resources to create safe sleeping environments and improve breastfeeding and chest feeding rates. Stay tuned for more. My name is Amalia Hirschman Martinez, and my pronouns are she, her. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Stacy Scott, NicheQ's Project Director and Vice President of Health Equity Innovation. We're going to discuss NicheQ's upcoming webinar titled, Their Stories Are So Powerful, Community-Based Approaches to Infant Safe Sleep and Breastfeeding Promotion. This webinar will be held on August 23rd at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Scott. Would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself? I am Dr. Stacy Scott. I am Vice President for the Department of Health Equity Innovation. It's a fairly new department that was created to really help to identify systems that overlook root causes within institutions and really looking at what are some of the roles of these barriers and challenges that we see in dealing with racism and other forms of oppression impact um, community wellness. So just a little bit, our mission is to understand and address the critical components that serve as barriers and facilitators to equitable systems change. And our purpose is really to harness internal and external knowledge and bolster NICHQ's capacity to create a social justice and anti-racist systems of care. And can you tell us a little bit about the NAPSIN project and what your role was? Yes, I served as the project director of NAPS. Over the years, I first started out as the chair for the Wisdom Council, and I worked as a consultant and was really active in the work that we did around the community and has chance had it. I became an employee and eventually became the project director over the whole project. So NAPSN stands for the National Action Partnership to Promote Safe Sleep, Improvement and Innovation Network, which we refer to as NAPSN. Um, NAPS was really aimed to make infant safe sleep and breastfeeding a national norm. We worked with aligning stakeholders to test what we refer to as safety bundles in multiple care settings to improve the likelihood that infant caregivers and families received a consistent evidence-based instructions about safe sleep and breastfeeding. And how do you feel that messaging around safe sleep and breastfeeding evolve uh, throughout this project based on what you've learned through the cohorts or how has this changed over the last few years? It's been amazing what we were able to accomplish in the last five years of this project. We started out in, again, working with hospitals and our usual partners in regards to promoting safe sleep and breastfeeding. But as we went into our years four and five, we really sat back and took a long look on the importance of working with communities. And with all the things happened around COVID and things of that nature, we were able to probably do some things outside of the box based on having to reset ourselves as a result of the pandemic, which in for us was positive. We were able to engage community and community organizations. We were able to provide funding and support to help them build their capacity and look at quality improvement efforts 
in helping them to get the message out around safe sleep and breastfeeding. Can you elaborate on how leveraging community-based approaches can effectively address structural racism and promote breastfeeding and ensure safe sleep practices for mothers and infants? Well, I think one of the big things that we did was really listen to the community, able to bring community to the table. Um, And although our table probably was already set, we recognized that it was important and that was a missing piece to that. And so we took a step back and we really said, okay, we need to hear from you. And as a result, we were able to reposition ourselves, look at our original aim statement and really adapt it based on the needs of our communities. And so we did take a look at structural racism um, and look at racial and ethnic disparities as well as geographically from rural to urban and really looked at it from affirming care and a whole host of things that we had not started that journey with in the beginning of this project. How do you feel that the limitations presented in the study impacted the overall findings and conclusions of the research? Well, of course, anytime you think about limitations, I mean, those are some standard things that unfortunately in doing this kind of work we experienced. Of course, we did everything via Zoom um, because of the pandemic, and it would have been nice to be able to go into the communities. However, I have to be honest that I don't know had the pandemic had not happened, if we would have had the ability to redirect the funds in the way we did to be able to leverage the community. A lot of that money that we had was designated for travel. And thanks to our funders, we were able to redistribute it in a way that could really impact the community in a positive way. We, of course, also looked at the community as a whole. And even though we focused on communities of color and rural areas, the limitation was is that because of how we did all of the work we did virtually, we were not able to have that up and close type of relationships with various communities. So those were some of the things that we did really look at. And then also how we broadly characterized what community-based organizations were. And so, you know, that gets into a whole lot about what is considered authentic community engagement, but we do feel that we've did a great job to the best of our ability to engage community at all levels. If given the opportunity to redesign the study, um, are there any changes that you would have made to address some of the issues or equity-based issues? For us, we were following traditional lines of quality improvement that I think that what we would have done is that we would have started with the communities first. I look at the cohorts of our projects. We'd worked with hospitals in our first cohort, which was cohort A. We looked at hospitals and other birthing organizations such as doctor's offices 
in cohort B, our second cohort. And then C, we finally were able to reach out to communities. If I had to do it again, I would have had the communities be first. I think it's important to establish that network of communities, help build their capacity, um, which we know they're capable, but being able to build their capacity would have been important and helping them to prepare them to be able to partner with their hospital partners and other um, healthcare providers throughout their communities, I think would have been a plus. In what manner can the themes derived from the community listening sessions be utilized to shape future directions or initiatives concerning safe sleep and breastfeeding work at NHQ? Well, of course, I don't want all of the work and the learnings that we have gotten be in vain. I think it's important that we continue to champion the things that we were able to begin in working in this project. Of course, education is key. We are looking at dissemination information, relationship building and support. We're really looking at our client-provider relationship, being able to give people a platform to continue to talk about the work they do. I'm very proud of that, that, you know, as working with the healthcare professionals, um, we really kind of talk amongst ourselves, but being able to give people the opportunity, the people that are on the front line, that are ground zero, the opportunity to share as far as their challenges, as well as successes, and really looking at best practices, I think is so very important. How did you acquire the feedback? Specifically, was the research you gathered from the community-based approaches conveyed through providers or the community members themselves? It's probably all of the above. When we look at who our targeted communities that we worked with were really community-serving organizations that were not necessarily people that they served, but we looked at them as being able to give a voice to the community organizations that were not your atypical, be it hospitals or medical centers or doctor's offices, but these were people that were part of community serving organizations, be it a church, uh, be it a neighborhood health center that were there doing the work and that we looked at them as our constituents. We wanted to hear from them their lived experiences of being out there and doing this work. And of course, in collecting some of the data that they collected was also information that they got from who they served. But we wanted to look at this as an opportunity to be able to tell the stories of all of those people that are out there doing this work and attempting to make a difference and to slave babies' lives and promote breastfeeding. Dr. Scott, if you have anything else to add. I just want to put out there that we should never not listen to our community partners. A lot of times we get caught up in the profession and things of that nature. You know, we look at all of the recommendations that come out. We await them. But to be able to hear from people and to get a true understanding on, again, the challenges and the barriers, as well as the successes in getting people to heed 
not only just here, but heed the message around breastfeeding and safe sleep is so very important. And I'm glad and honored that we here in NICHQ had an opportunity to be able to share the lived experiences of people on the ground level. And we do hope that we can continue or encourage other people to receive these messages and insight from our community partners. Thank you so much, Dr. Scott, for taking the time to share your insights with me and everyone today. It was a pleasure having you on Before Birth and Beyond. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to share. Again, the webinar is scheduled for Wednesday, August 23rd at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find more information and a registration link in our show notes, and a recording will be shared right after the webinar. Thank you. Stay with us to hear Katie McCormick discuss findings from the NICHQ-led study, Community-Based Approaches to Infant-Safe Sleep and Breastfeeding Promotion, a qualitative study published in BMC Public Health with Dr. Mira Menon, who shares insight as the publication's lead author and a new mother. Hi, Mira. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about the publication. Why don't you introduce yourself and what you do at NICHQ? Yeah, happy to. And thanks for speaking with me, Katie. So my name is Mira Menon. I am an Associate Director of Research and Evaluation at NICHQ. At NICHQ, I help oversee our Department of Applied Research and Evaluation, including managing a fantastic team of researchers. And I also lead evaluation research activities related to NICHQ's project work. Regarding the NAVS project and how it's centered on making safe sleep and breastfeeding a national norm. Can you summarize what the publication's about? So this publication was actually related to our direct project work on the NAPSIN projects. The original project was really focused around making safe sleep and breastfeeding a national norm, but within the hospital setting. As we really got into the work, we realized that it needed to start with the community and we needed to listen to the community here, really understand needs, what's really working well, the strength, but what barriers exist and what those working within the community identified they need to support safe sleep and breastfeeding. This publication was really around addressing that gap. We conducted a series of community-based focus groups, which we called listening sessions with community-based providers who are working directly in their respective communities around promoting safe sleep and breastfeeding. And we did these listening sessions to really understand what their needs were and what we could do to support them with the NAPSIN project. We heard a lot of different things related to both the struggles of providers doing this work in the community, as well as what parents directly were experiencing within the community as well. We talked to community members that were directly working with different populations. So, you know, they could have been doulas, home visitors, community-based health workers, directors of nonprofits that do work related to safe sleep and breastfeeding. When considering barriers to infant safe sleep and breastfeeding, what is a particular barrier that you think holds greater potential for breakthrough progress? It's tricky because I think we've been working on these topics for a really long time, those working in public health. But one of the things that I've realized, especially as I've become a parent myself, is really that to make real headway in safe sleep and breastfeeding and really improve rates, reduce disparities, we need to look at this as a systems level problem and not an individual level problem. So a lot of times, you know, these initiatives tend to focus like individual behavior, like promoting safe sleep, 
promoting breastfeeding at the individual level, but really ignore the fact that there are systems in place that make it really challenging for parents to engage in these behaviors. Like we don't have a robust family leave policy in this country. There is not really a lot of medical support um, for parents who intend to breastfeed or who who might need to um, go an alternate route um, as well. It's not the easiest answer, but I think that's the, the place where we really make the most headway is looking at systems level solutions rather than treating improving safe sleep and breastfeeding at the individual level. And I think that's something that also was pretty apparent in the the paper as well. You know, there was a lot of discussion around individual level behavior, but there was also this recognition that like, what is the context that parents are in and what is sort of the overlying situation that they're coming into and how does that impact the decisions they make around safe sleep and breastfeeding? It sometimes feels like culture follows some of the federal state policies that are underlying it. So, you know, the fact that a lot of parents return to work when their infants are essentially newborn still, and it makes it really hard to continue a breastfeeding relationship if there are, you know, with that setting, with those work hours, et cetera, oftentimes breastfeeding parents don't have, you know, there have been some big headway with policies to support breastfeeding, but what does that actually look like in practice? And how does that look like for a baby, for example, that might not take a bottle? And like, how does that parent continue a breastfeeding relationship in that regard? So if also they work full time. So I think it's a little bit of both where I do think that social policy might be leading the way to what culture is, but it's also hard to say. It's a little bit chicken or egg sometimes. As a new mother, do you see any changes that you would have made due to your new role, not only as a researcher? It's interesting because just given my new role as a mother, I don't know if I would have made any specific changes to this paper or findings because our findings were really driven by the voices of the respondents in the study and the community members that are participating. I think that there is a much deeper appreciation for what that lived experience looks like. And speak just for myself, but have an understanding for how difficult and challenging it is for parents around making decisions for safe sleep and breastfeeding or how difficult and challenging it is to reach certain milestones like six months exclusive breastfeeding, one year exclusive breastfeeding. But when you're directly living, it's really easy to see how challenging it is. So really, I think it's just that lived experience provides me a little bit more empathy in the situation and understanding that really what some of these challenges are. And some of the decisions I made, I made because I have all of this knowledge and understanding around safe sleep and breastfeeding. But what does that look like for someone who doesn't have that? What do you hope healthcare providers take from this publication? And then also, what do you hope patients or anyone experience it personally take from it overall? That's a really good question. From the provider perspective, I would, again, go back to that whole idea that it's not an individual level behavior. It's a systems level problem. So taking that lens and when you're looking at one specific patient, it's not just their own individual decision-making. It's the larger system and context they live in. And with that, I think a lot of providers, and this is a big focus of the NAPS project, should try to engage in compassionate conversation around some of these decisions with patients. And so um, one of the products of the NAPS and project was um, these conversational modules where really it was around um, using shared decision-making strategies to talk to patients and understand the decisions behind their choices. Also related to that is specifically with 
the safe sleep space. I think providers tend to really focus on abstinence-based approaches to safe sleep. And this paper really highlighted the fact that, you know, that doesn't work. And we know that abstinence-based approaches don't work. So it shouldn't be a conversation about not discussing the alternative. There is Increasingly, other big organizations, such as the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, are talking more about risk mitigation as an approach and ultimately working to like the full standard, gold standard infancy practices, but understanding that that's not where everyone's going to be and what are the small steps that providers can take to encourage parents to make the decisions that match their situation best. And then also like patients or anyone who's living with a newborn or such. Yeah, I think with that, I feel like the answer is a lot less complicated than to providers. And I think it's just to give yourself grace and understand that this is just the season of life and things will change. But I also think that the burden shouldn't be on the patient in this situation. I think that they're really, instead of placing everything on the patient, there needs to be some more equal decision making and getting support from the provider. and. I really hate to say that it's like, oh, well, feel free to advocate and have these conversations. But that often assumes that the patient's in a place of privilege. And we can't assume that always. And especially a postpartum person might just really be at their wit's end in many places. I, I hope that if parents look at this or your newly postpartum individuals look at her findings, it would just be to understand that there is this sort of shared experience around this time that a lot of parents are going through. And the really nice thing about this paper is that it's open access. It's pretty broadly available to anyone who is interested in the topic. So hopefully parents can look at it if there are other ways to put themselves to sleep and they're not tired already. But all jokes aside, I think that it's helpful to know that there are a lot of other people going through the same situation. To learn more about the NAPSIN project or to register for NIDQ's August 23rd webinar about safe sleep and breastfeeding messaging, check out the show notes or visit nidgeq.org. Thank you for reflecting with us on the importance of centering community voices and conversations about safe sleep and breastfeeding and gaps in messaging and support. Stay with us as we close out the show with a piece called Why I Work in MCH, where members of the NIDQ team explore what drew them to and keeps them working in maternal and child health. This month, we're featuring NICHQ project manager, Denisha Charles, who shares her passion for collaborating with community and project partners for the betterment of children's health. I have a master's in public health, but also in my previous employment, I worked at a institute for clinical research as well as health policy studies, which I really enjoyed, but I really wanted to dive into something different in terms of initiatives. So I met a colleague from Niche and she told me a lot about the organization, which really encouraged me to take the next step to join an organization like NICHQ. And in terms of children's health, I've always had a passion uh, to advocate for children's health, especially in low-income communities experiencing uh, different health disparities. After researching a health organization like this one, it was the perfect fit. So far, I've been on four different projects, all contributing to the betterment of children's health, and I cannot be happier. Listen to our past episodes and subscribe at nhq.org forward slash podcast.